0: Welcome to The Freelancer's Friend, episode 16.
1: It's now more of a trust factor that people need instead of just an automated strategy or, I mean, they're, they're helpful, but people are, there's a lot more transparency that needs to happen within all the different social channels that we're advising our clients anytime we take them on that before you start online advertising, you need to start a relationship with these customers And if we acquire them online we need to work on developing those better
0: if you want to enjoy a thriving freelance business then learning from others with the knowledge and experience is invaluable our guest this time is marketing consultant and founder of c roach consulting caleb roach and in this episode we chat about how communication and marketing channels have changed in recent years what kind of lead generation or sales process a freelancer needs to use now how to re-engage your existing following or client base if you need to, how data and analytics play their role in successful marketing, new algorithm changes on Google and whether we should be prepared for that, and more about understanding marketing strategy and implementation. So let's get on with it. Welcome, Caleb. Thanks for joining us from Edmond, Oklahoma.
1: Thanks for the invite. Appreciate it.
0: Uh, you run C. Roach Consulting and you're experienced in marketing strategy and execution, uh, data and analytics, procedure development, uh, project management for a variety of companies uh, from small businesses to the second largest privately owned QSR brand, which I think stands for uh, quick service restaurant. Have I got that right?
1: Yep. That's correct.
0: Are you allowed to say which one?
1: Uh, it was Inspire Brands.
0: Okay. Uh, so can you say a little bit about uh, your background and how you got into marketing strategy?
1: Yeah. So I started when I was a little bit younger, I went to college at a local college here and uh, I started doing some small business operations work um, in the local area while I went to, went to school. And um, I started enjoying kind of the marketing side and what I attribute to more of the customer attention and kind of the happiness level throughout the process. Um, and so I kind of focused on building better systems to keep productive and happy customers through the journey. And that led to working with Inspire brands for about two and a half years. Um, they own Sonic, Jimmy Johns, Arby's, now Dunkin' Donuts, and a couple other big brands. Um so I worked on their consumer insights and product insights team. And basically we would help develop um, new products so that the culinary team would come to us and say, we've got these ideas, take them to market, see what consumers think. So we would do taste tests and it was a really cool experience. Um, got to travel a lot and see a lot of new markets and how consumers interacted. Um, and so while I was doing that, I had this, this goal in mind that I never want to work for someone. I'm sure you feel this way too. It's I don't like the nine to five, I'll work 24 hours on my own to not have to go to meetings for someone else. And so when I started that role, I'd kind of built my official business as well. Um, and I got to a point where I was making more money on my, on the side than I was worth with my salary. And so at that point I, I talked to my wife and I was like, Hey, how do you feel about we've got this income coming in. What would you feel about me jumping on my own? And so that's when we, I made the jump and became a full-time marketing consultant on my own.
0: And your wife was fully supportive of that.
1: She was, it was a little bit of a journey because we had had, you know, starting from the ground, the first year really wasn't that impressive revenue side or client side. And so she had been able to see the progression and where I had kind of started and where I was now. And so that was an easier conversation to see the the actual revenue coming in and hey, I'm making more money than I was then. Yeah,
0: good. So how would you say that communication and marketing channels have changed in recent years?
1: They've really changed a lot. Um, So if you look at, let's say Facebook, um, I don't know, do you follow Gary Vee at all or any of those big influencers? I know who you mean,
0: I don't really follow them personally, but. I know exactly who you mean you can't really miss them
1: okay yeah so they're they're kind of the the big the grant cardones you know they used to be these big social influencers and a lot of them still are um but the way they they become became popular was um pushing out loads and loads of content so you know they kind of pushed not really into the quality side but more of just pushing out as much content on social channels as they could um and before facebook has kind of improved the algorithm they they really made a lot of attention because of that and now as facebook's grown into this big business it's been kind of a shift from instead of just quantity over quality it's now quality over quantity Mm -hmm. and so we were saying what used to be exact
0: same thing in the uh, previous episode about the linkedin platform
1: yeah and it's it's become such a i mean it's and i'm sure you've seen this on linkedin it's It's now more of a trust factor that people need instead of just an automated strategy, or, I mean, they're, they're helpful, but people are, there's a lot more transparency that needs to happen within all the different social channels that we're advising our clients. Anytime we take them on that before you start online advertising, you need to start a relationship with these customers. And if we acquire them online, we need to work on developing those better. Um, Just because there's a lot of fake gurus and there's a lot of fake fake things out there that people don't understand. And so the trust factor for brands has really dropped unless they've had a previous experience. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, it's kind of like the, I, I heard a story on a podcast a couple of days ago. Um, I really don't remember who, who was talking about it, but they talked about restaurants and how, you know, the, your percentage chance of a restaurant, if you go, if you bring in a, a guest, their percentage chance of coming back after, for the second time after they've had a good experience is 40%. Then when the third time after they come, you know, the second time, the next time after that second time, if they have a good experience, they have a 40% chance after that time, if they have a good experience, they have an 80% chance of staying with the brand for their lifetime. And so what they talked about was developing systems where the first time they sit down, there's a red napkin on their, on their plate. As soon as the meal ends, they get a free meal or they get a comp, you know, something like that. As soon as the meal ends, the manager comes over and says, Hey, thanks so much for stopping by. You've got to try the pie, like the the chicken pot pie. You got to try it. Like here's a 50% off the pot pie. Here's my card. You know, give this to them the next time you come in and try this out. Well, then they're going to come back because they've got an offer. And then that gives the servers a hint the next time that they have a card. And so that kind of flags them as that's the second visit. So in the third time the manager comes over and says, Hey, You need to try the cheesecake. It is phenomenal. Take this postcard, whatever it is, bring it back. You get freeze cheesecake on that third time. That's given them the ability to have three amazing experiences with this business to where there's no, you've got to build the trust and continue building it. But that trust factor has already gone from zero to a hundred in the matter of four visits.
0: And uh, I suppose data and analytics, play a, a massive part in uh, gaining trust. Uh, would you say that uh, data and analytics are pretty much the core of successful marketing or just one aspect?
1: I would agree. I think it's a, a very vital core of the marketing component of what you're doing. But I think you have to utilize data in the correct way. Um, because you see, I'm, I'm sure you've heard the term data is more valuable than oil now. Um, and that's a relative term. But There is so much data floating around that we have to identify what data is valuable for businesses to have. And how do you actually use that? Because you can collect all the data you want, but is it actually useful data that's going to help your customers come back and visit? And so that's what we preach with our, our customers is whether it's website optimization, looking at heat maps, where customers are going, seeing how far they're going on a page how many are bouncing right as soon as they jump on the page, how they're responding to social, any offers that we're promoting. So I think data is a huge thing, but I think it's one of those things where it gets thrown around a lot and it's not properly utilized as much as it needs to be.
0: So is there a best way of gathering uh, the data that you need? Is there any particular?
1: I really think it just has to be centralized. Um, you know, whatever you do, you have to have a purpose for what you're gathering. And so whether it's for your, your website and you're using Google analytics or for your social channels, using the analytics tool within there, and then pulling them into like a third party tool that can kind of consolidate it all to make sure you're just tracking it and not having to look at four to five different pieces of data from different companies.
0: Hmm. Um, something I wanted to ask is, um how the listener might be able to re-engage with a target market uh, after the pandemic, but uh, also at any time, I suppose, uh, after there's been a lull in business, uh, for example, or something similar.
1: Yeah, so I think customer loyalty is a huge thing right now. So are you talking about like pre-existing customers or new customers?
0: Um, Just a a reawakening your your old um, connections and network, Say say there's been a pandemic or say um, you haven't been uh, marketing as well as you should or you've been lost or you've had time out or whatever, how can you um, reconnect with people that already know you?
1: Yeah, so if you already have an established email channel, if you have established social channels and a website, what we would recommend is you know kind of work to develop messaging that can get customers back in um, with new systems or processes that you're building to build a better experience. And so whether that's, um, you know, whether sanitization is a big thing, um, creating messaging around what you're doing and what you're actually doing for, for sanitization, um, what that experience looked like, are they cleaning down the tables? Um, do you have to wear masks or mass provided? Um, and then in regards to just the overall kind of bring customers back, um, finding an offer that isn't too much where you're selling your soul but some sort of offer to kind of re-engage that customer back in, whether it's a certain percentage off or a new product offering that you're bringing in that you're maybe discounting just a little bit to give them a taste of what they have, what you have and what they can get, or some sort of way that you can build customers back in with new processes. So let's say you're, um, you know, for instance, a marketing consulting firm and, maybe customers are looking for better ways to have communication with marketing companies. Um, So something recently that we've discovered for marketing agencies is communication is lacking between client and the the agency. And so we've developed some systems where we're building Friday updates and a client portal where they can see analytics. Um, And so kind of honing in our services, what we do and how we do it to build a better customer experience and then we're pushing out messaging that anytime we get a new cl- customer or we're trying to re-engage an old client or an old prospect, we can kind of come from the front of, Hey, we've worked on ourselves, we've worked on this business. And I think it would benefit you in the long run. And so I think you've got three different things you can do. You can work on the, let's call it the sanitization, the cleanliness, you can work on your product offering, and then you can also work on some sort of offer. But when you work on an offer, you have to be very con- very, very careful of not getting into the discount type model Mm -hmm. continually.
0: Mm -hmm. Some sort of gift that, um, just says, hello, I'm still here kind of thing. And just, yeah.
1: Well, even like we did, um, we've, we've always done thank you notes, no matter, um, if we meet with a client, if we've talked to a client, if they've sent us a referral and we've seen a really good, and we did it after the pandemic as well of, um, thanking business owners that we've worked with that. Um, maybe had a tough time during the pandemic and still were our clients or um, just a way to kind of re-engage our community. And thank you notes were a very effective tool because not not many people are doing it nowadays. Um, And it was a great way to show, hey, I'm taking the time to write a little bit of a note to you. It's not anything crazy, um, but I've handwritten them and I'm putting the postage on and sending them out. And people really resonate with that because with such a digital world, you really have to personalize it to make it seem like you care. Yeah, because it's it's kind of hard to communicate that sometimes.
0: Yeah, if you've got a budget, going offline and is makes a real impact, definitely.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: I've seen you refer to a, a new algorithm uh, or changes to the Google algorithm. Um, what changes do you mean? And. Uh, Does the listener need to prepare for it in any way?
1: A little bit. So, um, if they're kind of got, if they've got the proper steps in order, um, they'll be fine. But if they're kind of identified as a more spam site or their site is lower quality in what Google views as low quality, they're going to see a drop in rankings. And so Google for the first time in, let's see. I don't think they've released two updates within two months. Cause they, they did an update in June and they did an update in July and they have, they've from my recollection, I don't think they've ever done an update that quickly, um, or it's been a couple of years since they have. And so what they've done is they've released a spam update and then they've released a quality update. And so they've kind of cracked down on spam sites, sites that are kind of pushing out content that really isn't relevant. Um, they're pushing out sites that have been identi- been identified or, you know, flagged as spam by other visitors. Um, and then another interesting feature that we've recently learned about is the Google, my business component. Um, it became very popular in networking groups and just overall for people to do what's called like a review chain. So, you know, Victor, I, I review you, you review me. And then let's say we have another business that we talk with, they review them. And so we've got three solid reviews that we do business with, but it looks like it was a fake review by Google because it's back to back to back, you know, within the span of a day, let's say. And so, um, we've encountered problems with that happening to some of our clients of Google, not even showing reviews, um, if that happens. And so there's a lot of different things that businesses need to be aware of like that, you know, not doing review chains, making it, you know, spreading it out over the next couple of days to make it look like it's intentional reviews. Um, and then more of the quality update that Google did was they're looking now for quality content. And so, you know, it's always been a focus of them. And I'm sure you're aware of this as much as basically everyone else is. Google makes money on bringing customers back and them having a great experience. And so what they want is they want to push sites that are providing valuable content to their readers. And so we've seen a rise in update from just pushing out blog posts that actually relate to what our businesses do and how they do it and the quality of service and those types of things versus just pushing out keyword stuff, blog posts.
0: So are there any basic things to remember to make sure that you don't offend Google too much?
1: You know, it's, I, I don't think we'll ever get to a point where you'll, there's a, a set checklist, let's mm-hmm. say that will get you. I mean, you can do some good steps to make sure that you're, you're relevant with Google. Um, but the biggest piece is just making sure that, you know, your site actually has heading one tags. Um, those are, those are big pieces of your website. Um, a lot of business owners don't, don't know that you need to have meta tags or how to add those on. Um, There's title tags and meta tags. You need both of those for Google to actually recognize what the page is about. And then the biggest piece is, um, the tool that they've created. It's called Google search console. A lot of business owners don't know about it is you can go on Google search console and what they call indexing your site, essentially Google crawling your website, and you can sign up for that for free. And it takes three minutes to set up and it will start crawling your website and Without having to pay for these big SEO tools, it'll tell you your average position on Google, how many clicks you're getting from a certain keyword. So there's a lot of in depth data that's in this Google Search Console that most business owners don't even know about.
0: Hmm. So that's a really good place to start if you don't use it already.
1: It is. And there's a lot of helpful guides on, you know, because it's a little complicated on how do you submit a sitemap, how do you get it indexed. There's a lot of different things that might look a little confusing or complex, but there's a lot of help guides. You know, if you're using WordPress, Squarespace, most of them actually have guides on how to index your site on Google Search Console.
0: So you started fairly young. You were involved, uh, you were, you thought you wanted to become a lawyer to, uh, when you were younger, but eventually you decided to go to the, down the route of entrepreneurship, uh, could you say how you first got started and, uh, you know, if you had much of a budget and uh, how you basically marketed yourself to get to your business off the ground?
1: Yeah. So um, I was actually, I thought I wanted to be an attorney and I thought it was going to be the coolest and greatest thing of all time to be an attorney. And um, I realized very quickly that I did not like being anywhere close to an attorney, like as, as an attorney, um, a lot of writing a lot of sitting at a desk. And while that's what I do it, it really wasn't as creative as I wanted it to be. And so I started with a, with a firm I was working with, they didn't really have a website. And so I thought, Hmm, I'll, I'll try to design a website. So I borrowed a camera from a friend. I thought I was, you know, basically the best photographer in the world. I probably should have been on national geographic, Hmm. um, and took some photos of the local area built this horrible website that I feel bad that they even had. Um, But it was a great start for me to understand how do you build a website, what things go into it, how do you improve a website, how do you track it? And so I slowly learned through the course of that, that maybe law wasn't for me. And maybe this, this marketing and operation side was actually kind of what I enjoyed. And so that kind of led me down the path of, you know, working for a big business while kind of building what I would call a side hustle into a business. Um, But during that, like freelance and side hustle mode, um, I really didn't have a big budget. I, my content was pretty horrible at the time and I was still learning. I mean, I still am learning a lot. Um, And so I couldn't go to a business and say, Hey, I've gotten results for these businesses. Here's some campaigns. I was ashamed of the, the, the different campaigns I had built and so I kind of worked to develop relationships within networking groups, um, the local chamber of commerce here, and kind of just building relationships without selling, and then hoping that those would turn out to be great connections down the road. And that was probably the biggest piece that I did that I'm grateful for, because I didn't spend any money on advertising. Um, I had a very low budget and I really wanted to work from the beginning on customer service and building better procedures for my clients. And so I had a couple of friends that had gone out and they had started businesses and they solely generate online. Um, they acquire all their, their clients. They don't talk to them. They might talk to them on a call and that's, that's for what they do. Um, I've always learned that I don't want that. And I want more of a, like a relationship with my customers. So I can take them out to lunch. I can call them up and it, it feels more like an established relationship. And so from the very get go, I basically bought thank you cards. I, I built business cards for my business. I built a website for my business. And then I spent my budget, which was, I would say I, I probably spent under like a hundred bucks a month, my first six months, um, just on building materials, flyers, having them printed out and basically just taking people to lunch, going to different networking events and kind of developing relationships. And now, I mean, four years later, four to six years later, after that very initial start of, you know, building relationships, getting connections, I'm still getting referrals from people that I met six years ago, um, where I'm getting calls and saying, Hey, let's, let's go to lunch. Let's go to this. Let's we let's talk about this strategy. And so it wasn't the, the coolest or most innovative or prettiest strategy that I could have done. Um, I could have probably thrown a bunch of ads, been on a credit card and become successful. Um, but I always wanted this mentality that the customers I acquire are either relationships that I've built through online channels or in person. And then we're mainly a um, referral based firm as well. And so we do online advertising, we acquire customers through online channels, but a majority of our customers are actually from referrals. And so I attribute The time that I spent, it was a lot of time and a lot of effort kind of working on my pitch, developing who I was as a business person and walking into those rooms and having the courage to kind of speak when you're young and have the confidence, you know, there's, I think there's a, there's a difference between pride and confidence. Um, so identifying what's pride, what's confidence, and then having a good mixture of confidence, um, and walking into those rooms and saying, Hey, Here's who I am. I don't have all this experience, but this is what I've developed. This is what I want to do. And this is how I can do it. Um, and from the very get-go doing more of the organic meeting people approach was, was valuable to my business, especially with a small budget.
0: Yeah. Kudos to you for, for that, for the public speaking side of things as a young person, I, I know, uh, it's, uh up there with death as one of his most most feared things
1: <clears throat> well and you know it's it's one of those things that um because i'm only 22 still and so i still struggle with a lot of um what's it i, I forget the term for it but the um the sin the imposter syndrome you know yeah that's i'm uh, still so young mm-hmm. i don't
0: No, the, the, the imposter syndrome is uh a term that's used a lot at the moment.
1: Yep. And so it it feels like when I, when I speak with these businesses, even when I go into pitch pitches and talk to businesses, we have these established results. We have the strategy, we have the education, the understanding. And I still go into these businesses thinking I'm going to walk in. They're going to think I'm some young kid that doesn't know what I'm doing. And I feel this like imposter syndrome. Like, do I even know what I'm doing? Um, and that's been tough. You know, that's hard as a freelancer to go into these businesses, some of them, you know, are big businesses. Let's say, let's say you get a big contract. You're speaking to these people that feel like they're on a tier above you because they work for this business. And what I've discovered through working with bigger companies like international companies, the people working in those businesses are just like you. I mean, they, a lot of people in corporate America have imposter syndrome too. And so when you're speaking to these people and you have this like fear that I'm going to get found out. They're not going to think I'm experienced enough on the other side, the flip side, these clients, when agencies come to them, a lot of them feel the same way about them. I've got to make it look like I've, I've got all my, you know, crap together and I understand what I'm doing. So it's, it's a very interesting thing that I don't know if you've ever felt this way, but it's just, I, I don't know if it'll ever go away. <laughs> now I think
0: all humans are the same. but. um, they have a kind of negative self-talk and uh, I hear that uh, negative self-talk is what you do the most when you're chatting to yourself whether you notice it or not and the idea is to become aware of what you're saying to yourself and reframe it and this is a uh, quite a big topic that I'd like to delve into here and now but I think we sh- should stick uh, with the topic that we're meant to be talking about for the moment. Uh, there, are, There are other episodes where we talk about your mindset this kind of thing in general Um, so uh, from what you're saying uh, a kind of big takeaway I'm taking from what you've said so far is it's a kind of balance between having uh, good data and analytics and the human side of things and building relationships and having the balance between those two things
1: yes Absolutely. You know, like we talked about in the very beginning, data is core data is important because, um, you know, when we price things, when we talk to our customers, we use a lot of data to tell them here's what people are experiencing. Here's the percentage of shoppers that aren't coming back here's X. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's essential. And that's, that's what our main selling point is and what a lot of businesses selling point is, but at the very, very end of it too, like you said, The human relation relationship piece is so important as well, because you can do all these data, you can do all the analytics, but as we've learned throughout the years, people are people. And so you can do all these complex strategies and use data to inform decision making, but at the end of the day, if a consumer makes one decision that you didn't calculate for, or they make a decision opposite of what you thought they would make you've still got to have that human element mm. because you've got to bring them back to that piece or else you've lost them. Yeah. Makes perfect sense.
0: Is there anything else you'd like to add to what we've said already?
1: No, I think that's a lot of rambling on my part. <laughs> so, um, probably a lot for people to listen to.
0: <laughs> so what's the best way for the listener to find out more about you? Uh, I think you've got a free consultation that you offer.
1: I do. I have a free consultation. Um, we, we tell our clients, we don't sell or our potential clients. We don't sell on that consultation unless they want us to. And so what we'll do is we'll provide an audit for them. We can kind of talk about strategy for 30 minutes to an hour on how they can improve their business, you know, on, on different channels that they can do. And if the conversation comes up that they want to look into working with us, that's a different conversation, but they can go to our website. It's sea roach consulting. C-R-O-C-H-E consulting.com. They can check out our website. We have some great blogs. We're talking about neuromarketing right now, consumer driven decisions, kind of some core updates. I mean, some, some great content. Um, And then we also do have that, that free consultation on there that just Calendly link. They can schedule time, set up some time to talk. Um, And then I also love connecting with people on LinkedIn. So um, people can add me on LinkedIn as well.
0: Great. I think I'll try that. Uh, it's interesting. Thanks again for joining us, Caleb. It's been a pleasure. I just have one final question uh, that I ask every guest. And what it's uh, what's the one most important thing to do or be for freelancing success?
1: The biggest. I, I thought about this. I listened to some of your past past episodes, okay. so <laughs> I came prepared. Um, so I really think one of the most important pieces for a freelancer is not getting too ahead of yourself. Um, You really have to identify what areas you have to work on in your business to improve that client experience. So like we said, use data, build kind of what your clients are wanting, what they're doing, how they're interacting with your brand, and then supplement that with the human side. How can we increase communications with our clients? How can we bridge that gap between what they want and what they need? And so. Um, throughout my experiences, I've made a lot of mistakes. I've made a lot of failures, a lot of miscommunications. And the biggest key is talking to a client, being upfront, being honest about those mistakes and using those, that data piece to increase better systems. And then the human side, being honest and being transparent with those people and saying, I made a mistake. And that's, that's the biggest piece that I've learned throughout my, my time doing this.